Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard, award-winning broadcaster, narrator, and author of the Jessica Ramirez Thrillers. Brought to you by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks, Lisa. Paula Muneer is a true Renaissance woman. Along the way, she's been a writer, editor, teacher, and agent, conceiving and creating content for the likes of Disney and WGBH, and showcasing the work of a select group of author clients in pursuit of that breakthrough tale that attracts a publisher's ear and a reader's eye. Paula knows both sides of the agent-author relationship. In addition to years on the content acquisition side in publishing, her own Mercy Car series has found its way to the USA Today bestseller list. Well, I started off as a reporter in California, working for alternative weekly newspapers and um, regional magazines and trade magazines. And then I worked for this trade magazine called Video Maker, which was for videographers. And they had a book line and I was the managing editor. So I got to put together the book line and it was the first time I'd done any books. And to me, to me, books are the thing, right? I mean, I love being a reporter. Don't get me wrong. I love stories. I love, you know, all media, but books were the thing. I was a bookworm worm from the time I could read it, you know, four or five, whatever it was. And so when I realized that now I could parlay my way into a job at a book publisher, that's what I did. And I got my first job as a managing editor for a book publisher called Prima, which is now part of Crown. But at the time, it was an independent publisher, the first to do strategy guides for video games and a number of other things. They did all kinds of nonfiction, cookbooks, business books, you name it. And I sat there at my first meeting, first day on the job, and I thought to myself, they are going to pay me to talk about books all day long. I was so excited because that's, to me, books are it, you know? So that's how I got my start. And then from there, I went to acquisitions. I'd always been a writer. I continued to write mostly nonfiction. I always had a secret dream to be a mystery writer. I would hang around mystery writers <laughs> and, uh, you know, join MWA. And as Hallie Efron said, you know, maybe you should finish something because I never managed to finish anything. And then finally, you know, I finally wrote that book on plot called Plot Perfect for Writer's Digest Books. And I thought, you know, you wrote a book on plot. So plotting a mystery should not be so intimidating for you. If you wrote a book on plot, you should be able to plot a mystery. Shame on you if you can't. So I sat down and I was writing this book called The Writer's Guide to Beginnings, which I have here. I'll show you. It's The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. It's based on my uh, first 10 pages boot camp. We, we, our agency, literary agency does for Writer's Digest University. And I needed a chapter to take through its paces, right? To show various techniques and, and tips, that sort of thing, editing, you know, narrative thrust, all that. And I couldn't use anybody else's first chapter. So I thought, well, I'll just write one. I'll write a first chapter and, and I'll write a mystery because I always wanted to write a mystery. And, and I had just done this fundraiser for Mission Canine Rescue, which is a wonderful organization that helps place working dogs from the military who otherwise would end up in bad situations and they find them forever homes because, you know, the army does an okay, sort of okay job of making sure that those dogs, you know, retire into good situations. But the defense contractor dogs can often end up in kill shelters, abandoned, terrible fates. So what this organization does is it rescues them and finds them forever homes. And I fell in love with the dogs and I fell in love with the handlers. So I thought, well, I'll put a dog in the book and I'll make her, uh, my heroine, Mercy Carr, 
a former MP from Afghanistan who inherits this dog when her fiance dies in battle, the same battle where she's wounded and the dog gets PTSD. And now she's got this dog. They both lost their man in their mission. They go home to Vermont, which is one of my happy places. And, you know, they solve mysteries in the wilderness. That was my thing. So I just wrote this opening chapter, throwing in everything I loved to be the sample chapter for this writer's guide to beginnings. And my agent read it, Gina Panettieri of Talcott Notch. She read it and said, wow, this is good. You should finish this. You should write this. And so I did. And then that became the Mercy Car series. It is said that the first sentence sells the story. Do you remember your first sentence in that one? The first sentence is something like, grief and guilt are the ghosts that haunt those of us who survive what others do not. So grief was central to the story. I knew I was going to write about grief. And I was going to write about the transition from the military to civilian life, which can be very hard. I grew up in the military. My father was an officer. And I have a soft spot in my heart for all things all people and things and dogs, military. And it's a tough life. And it's often a tough transition from military to civilian life. And I knew I wanted to write about that. Plot perfect, writing with quiet hands and the writer's guide to beginnings are go-to textbooks for those of us in the craft. How did you pick up so much wisdom along the way? Well, you know, I was an editor for many years. I was an acquisitions editor. And even though I did a lot of nonfiction, but I also did licensed fiction. And other kinds of fiction. So I really knew if licensed fiction is all, you know, Marvel and all those guys. So it's, it's very plot driven, right? These are plot driven stories. And so, and strategy guides for video games, are plot driven, video games are plot driven. And I had to help these software developers who were great gamers. I had to learn, had to te help teach them how to write novels because what they all wanted as part of the contract was we're all, we're all fighting for the license to get, you know, the, the permission to do the new game, whatever it was. And as part of the negotiating process, they would say, oh, well, can we do a novelized version? And, and the gamer gets to write it, the game developer? And, I'd, and we'd say, sure. <laughs> and then we had to teach them how to write a novel. So, um, you know, I learned a lot helping other people. To, I think with the editors, you know, we just learn a lot from taking things apart. We're like car mechanics, you know? <laughs> we, we take things apart and we put them back together. We take stories apart and we put them back together. So a lot of what we learn to do as editors is completely applicable to writers, right? And to writing. And I knew how to write a story because I'd been writing stories, you know, as a reporter for years and years. And I'd been helping edit these novels. And I'd also taken a lot of screenwriting classes with my friends in California, all of whom wanted to be screenwriters. I did not want to be a screenwriter, but I went along for the ride and I learned how to dramatize and how to write in scenes, which was new for me. And so all that together, plus if you write a book on plot, I've been reading mysteries and everything else for years and years and years. And readers, we absorb a lot. We don't even, we're not even aware of how much we know, right, about a story and, and what should happen in stories, which is why we're so upset if we get to the end and we don't like it and it doesn't work, or it's a trick, or a cheat, or something, you know. There's an old saying in publishing, the first page sells the book, the last page sells the next book. So you really have to deliver that satisfying ending. So I think all those things contributed, and plus my own failed attempts at, at writing plots, you know. So all that came together, right, and when I wrote Plot Perfect. 
Your fourth Mercy Car mystery is in circulation. Give us the agent's elevator pitch for the wedding plot. Well, the wedding plot, in the wedding plot, Mercy Car's grandmother is getting married at a very she-she, five-star destination in Vermont in June, which is wedding season in Vermont. So what happens is the spa director disappears, and that part of the destination wedding is you know, comes apart. So her mother, who's planning a wedding for her mother, Mercy's grandmother, calls Mercy and says, go find the spa director. And before you know it, you know, it's all murder at the wedding. So weddings can be murder. That's basically the plot of the wedding plot with, and a lot of family drama. It was fun to write because I got to write a lot of familial drama and bridezilla and all that fun stuff that goes with weddings, right? So that made it a lot of fun. It was also hard because I had to write it in the wake of my father's death, which made it very hard to write. And so I finally, I just wrote the colonel, my father, into the plot. And that's how I got through that book because he was a real character. And I think somewhere he's smiling. It sounds like writing the wedding plot became a therapeutic experience for you. It did. It did. I I knew I could never meet my deadline or even come close if if I couldn't write and I was I had not suffered that kind of grief before so for me it was like it was like trying to navigate molasses you know I just felt everything was slowed down I couldn't really move forward on any front in my life and so I had to find a way out and that was it I just wrote about dad and he's a great character and and it really did give me that little impulse, right? I mean, we all have this creative impulse, right? And if we're lucky, we can trap it every day and it gets us through the next thousand words or whatever. But when we can't get that spark, we have to find a way to do it. And I thought, well, that's what I'll do. It'll give me a way to honor dad and finish the book. And in a way, it was it was grief therapy. Your Mercy Car mysteries are fun to read. <laughs> Were they fun to write? I mean, they've all been fun to write because I get to write about, you know, women, strong women, sexy game wardens, nature, Vermont, and dogs. So it's all fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. I, I'm not the kind of writer who can write about things I don't want to write about. I mean, I did that as a reporter <laughs> for years. And so I, when I write fiction, I, w- I have to write what I want to write. I have to write what, what it in- intrigues me, what entertains me, what engages me. You know, people say, oh, write what you know, which I think is true. But I also say, write what you know, write what you'd love to know, write what you, you want to know, right? So it's not just write what you know, because that, you know, especially in my case, it's very limited. You know, that would limit me in so many ways. I only know so much, right? But you can write about what you'd love to know, right? And what you want to know, what you can learn. And that's part of the fun for me is learning new things. So there's always something new in the books that I can that I can dig my teeth into and, and have fun with. The challenge of writing a series is keeping it fresh and interesting. How do you do that with Mercy Carr? Huh. Well, that's the tough. That's a tough one. I look at people like Ellie Griffiths and Julia Spencer Fleming and Louise Penny and C.J. Box and, you know, Craig Johnson and James Lee Burke and all these people who have, you know, of course, Lee Child, Jack Reacher, long running series. And I think, wow, that is such 
craftsmanship to keep a series going and to remain interested in the character, not just for yourself, but for your readers and for your readers to come back time and time again. That's, that's just amazing to me. And, and of course, that's my challenge now. I have a series myself. And the longer you go, in some ways, the harder it gets, right? Because you have to, what draws the readers back is supposedly, if you've done your job right, they love the characters. So you have to keep them the same, but they have to be the same, but different every time. So it's a challenge. And, and mostly the good news is that if we look at our life as a series, right? We're the heroes and heroines of our own series. And we have our ups and downs. We have all these different challenges, different stages of our life. So I, I try to just kind of draw upon that because, you know, we all have our happy endings and then next year happens, right? And it's right back into the into the maelstrom, right? So, or, you know, like COVID happens, you know, yeah, things are going perfectly and then bingo. So I think because that's life, the series has to sort of emulate that kind of up and down that we all suffer in our lives. Mercy Carr truly is a fascinating protagonist. What do you like best about her? What I like about her is that she's strong and she's smart. And for me, you know, I grew up in the military. And thankfully, West Point did not accept girls until a couple years after I graduated. <laughs> so I dodged that bullet. But I'm sure as an only child and the, the daughter of a colonel, I would have been <laughs> sent off <laughs> you know, to the academy of my choice, just like most of my male counterparts were. You know, my friends who were the oldest boys, they all went picked an academy and went. So I, I didn't do that, which is just as well. The Army, God knows, I'm sure, breathes a sigh of relief. But I always wondered, you know, what if I had been born later? What if I had gone that route? What would that have looked like? Right. So for me, and that's the joy of being a writer, is that you get to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And in Mercy's case, I get to walk, you know, a series in her shoes, which is great fun because I ask myself, you know, what would, what would I, what would that have looked like for me? How is she so different for me that what kind of woman can succeed in this kind of environment, right? What does she have to have? What kind of grit? What kind of smarts? What kind of compassion, right, does she have to have? And so that's what interests me about her. And now she's making this transition from civilian life to from military life to civilian life and trying to figure out what her new role in the world is because she's a warrior and now she's not, you know, so how does she find new fights? You know, she wants to fight the good fight. And I think a lot of people who lose, leave the military, it's the lack of a mission, right? It's like when people retire and they, and they don't know what to do with themselves. There's no mission. It was even, and I could relate to that because when my children were grown, and left home, I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I my raison d'etre, the only reason I had a career was, was initially the impulse was to feed the children. That was basically the goal. And I did whatever I had to do to do that. So once they were gone, I had to totally rethink who I was and what my raison d'etre was. So I think we're all in that position sometimes where we have to find a new mission. And how do we do that? And how do we live a meaningful life? Ultimately, that's what it comes down to, right? Paula Manier is our guest. Her current hit is The Wedding Plot. Her website is paulamunier.com. You have a reader fan base, but you are also a highly respected well, author okay, agent. So I was an acquisitions editor for many years, and I loved being an acquisitions editor. It's kind of like being a midwife, right? You're not the 
author of the, the mother of the baby book. You're the midwife who helps give birth to the books. And it's so much fun. But then I got, you know, middle-aged acquisitions editor, got laid off like everybody else. And I thought, well, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? You know, I, I'm too old. At 55, I was too old to, you know, honestly, to get another job in publishing. And so I thought, well, I, I'll just go back to writing full time. I'll write full time. And it was winter. And my favorite dog of all time, Shakespeare, was dying of old age. And it was snowing. And apparently I was depressed because <laughs> I wrote this pathetic blog. And my agent, Gina Panettieri, whom I'd known for years, she called me. She said, oh, my God, you need something to do. <laughs> and, and she said, why don't you come be an agent with my agency? And I said, I can't be an agent. I'm an editor. I'm a writer. I don't know how to sell anything. She said, sure you do. You pitch pub board every week, you, you know, which is what acquisitions editors do. We find projects we like, and then we have to take them to the publishing board, which is made up of the publisher and sales and marketing and publicity and bean counters and other editors. And we have to pitch them the project and you know, convince them to publish it. And so I thought, oh, well, yeah, that's true. Because as an agent, what I do is I'm now pitching the editor I used to be, right? I used to sit at that table. Now I'm pitching that editor to try to get them to go take my project to the to the table. So I thought, okay. She, and, and so I thought, I don't know. And she said, well, send me a headshot in the bio. So I did that because you should always do what your edit agent tells you to do. And I did. I did what my agent told me to do. I sent her a hot headshot and a bio. And a week later, I had 1,000 queries in my inbox. So the moral of the story is, if you want affection and attention, become an agent? I know. And they keep on coming. <laughs> so I was an agent. And so I, but it's been so much fun. It really is. It's even better than being an acquisitions editor. It's a lot of fun being an agent. Why? Because I get to, I get to relive that moment when you hear, oh, you got a book deal. Right? I get to relive that moment with all my clients. Again, it, it's kind of like being the midwife, you know? You can only have so many children. You can only write so many books. At least I can only write so many books. But I can help other people get their books published and, and establish careers in a business I love. So it's a way to continue that. And, and I get to work for myself, which no more corporate publishing nonsense, right? So I like that part. How do you decide which clients to bring into your circle? Well, that's interesting because I saw this whole um, conversation on Twitter and they were saying, oh, does the agent pick the project or they pick the writer? And I stayed out of that because I saw that as a black hole. But <laughs> I didn't want to go down. But I thought to myself, agents want both, right? We want great projects because a great project is what breaks you out as a new writer. It's that great project that will break you out. But we also want writers who write. We don't want one book wonders. You know, sure, okay, there's you know, J.D. Salinger and Catcher in the Rye. But most of the time, writers build a career, right? And, and, and it's not just agents, but it's editors and publishers, too. They want writers who are going to keep on writing, right? And keep on feeding the reader the kind of stories they want to read. So we want writers who can write a great breakout story and keep on writing those. So it has to be something very special because the marketplace – admittedly is tougher than ever. It hasn't gotten easier. It never gets easier. So it has to be something special. And then it has to be written by a writer who can make that transition, another transition, right, from 
writer to author because they're two very different roles. So, you know, I have to look at their career path and imagine that career path and help them realize whatever goals they have as a writer. Some writers want, they want to write a series. Some writers want to be a New York Times bestselling author. Some writers want to, you know, read their own audiobooks. Everybody has something they want, right? And so I try to figure out who they want to be when they grow up as a writer. And I always ask potential clients that question. Who do you want to be when you grow up? What does that writer's career look like? How did they get there? What can that teach you about how to break out? How important is the chemistry between you and your client? Do you have to get along? Well, you do. It's kind of like a marriage, you know, um, in many ways. It's a business partnership. But it's not just, you know, this is not widgets we're talking about here. These are people's stories. These are people's dreams. You know, I like to say that if writing nonfiction is thinking on paper, which it basically is, it's thinking on paper, then writing fiction is dreaming on paper. So we're talking about people's dreams here. And writers are artists and they're creative people. They're creatives, as you know, the advertising people like to say. They're creative. So what that means is that it's not widgets. And so there's an element of intangible, intangible, intangibility a word? I don't know, but an, an intangible quality here, not just of, of the writing itself, but the creativity and the creative personality. So you can't just be, you know, it can't just be just business partners. It, it has to be, go a little deeper. And I, and I was an acquisitions editor for many years. And so I tend to take a very editorial approach. So my my clients can expect notes, you know, and I won't send a project out till I think it's ready. And um, I need writers who understand that writing is rewriting and do not fight that process. Star Trek. I always tell them <laughs> resistance is futile. And it is. Exactly. Exactly. And it, because it never ends. I sell your project tomorrow, even if I, even if, you didn't revise a word of it. As soon as it gets to the editor's desk, she's going to send you notes or he's going to send you notes, right? And they're going to be long, single space, 12 pages, you know, macro and micro. So you have to be prepared for that process. And you honestly, you need to embrace it. And so I want to You think that the fact that you are an author has made you a better agent? Process. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I think being a writer helps me understand my clients. It also helps me understand the, the difficulties of writing. I mean, writing is hard. And I know only too well <laughs> that pain of facing a blank page every day. And we all have, you know, ups and downs, like me with my dad, other people, you know, other things happen. COVID, a lot of people could not write during COVID at all. They were too, you know, upset or too exhausted by the whole process, by homeschooling and, you know, everything else that was going on. So I think, you know, you need someone. I mean, I think what I bring to the table as an agent is because I am a writer, I understand that. Right. And I also, you know, go to bat for my clients in a way for some things that maybe other agents wouldn't think are that important, but I know as a writer, we think it's important. Although I must say that um, all the agents I know 
totally go to bat for their clients because that's our job, right? Is to go to bat for our clients and to be that bad cop. So the writer can be the good cop with the publisher and we can be the bad cop, you know. But I think it helps because I know when I, I know what to say to get them going again. At least I try if they get stuck or, you know, they're having any kind of issues with the actual How do you like to be queried? I can help them. Oh, well. When I like to be queried, I don't really, really, really accept unsolicited queries anymore. But what I do is, if I meet you somewhere at a conference or you come to one of our workshops or, or I just know you from Twitter, whatever it happens to be, if we have some sort of connection, right, then I absolutely will take a query from you. I will tell you whether you're querying me or somewhere else. The most important thing is to make use of the subject line of your email. And to use it as a headline. Don't just say agent query title of book because that means nothing to me, right? And honestly, most most people, most agents don't read their unsolicited queries. There's some intern reads them, honestly, because we get zillions, literally zillions of them. I mean, I, when I, I told you, I, my first week as an agent, I got a thousand queries and nobody even knew who I was. They didn't even know I was an agent. I got a thousand queries. So that's how quickly... You know, email has made it so easy to hit send, you know. Um, So we just get too much material. So we usually don't read our unsolicited queries. We read the subject lines. And if the subject line captures our interest, like, you know, I don't know, something like, you know, new, new mystery set on Mars or whatever it happens to be that sounds different, then we look. So I would encourage you all, whether you're querying me or anyone else, to make use of that subject line. Use it as a headline. Put your the same but different in that headline if you can. That's what publishers want, the same but different. Just like insert bestseller here in your category, only different. And your job is to articulate that difference, right? That's really because publishing, you know, every season is 500 to 1,000 new products, Apple just has to, you know, sell the iPhone and the new iPhone and, you know, that's all. But publishers have all these new products, totally different stories to sell every time. And so that's why they use, you know, comparable titles that have worked in the marketplace. The the idea is to prove there's an audience for the book. As the people who like this will like that because this is the same, only different. That's your challenge as as a writer. It's the agent's challenge to figure that out. And it's the editor's challenge. How do you position yourself against your competition? That's really the important thing. So if you think of something like Castaway on Mars, that's the Martian, right? Um, you know, that, that's, I, I just, one of my clients is Kate Hollihan, is a wonderful writer, USA Today bestselling author. And I pitched her, but before three, her three lives, I pitched as Gaslight Goes High Tech. Distilling a great story into a few yeah. words is the ultimate challenge. And the, and the longer log line was, a young wife is terrorized in her own home by her own home. That's the kind of thing you need to do. So it's gaslight, only high tech. It's castaway, only on Mars. So ask yourself, how can you do that? And of course, I had to do it too. You know, when I wrote my first Mercy Car Mystery, I knew I had to give my agent one of these taglines, right? The same but different. And so I sat down and I thought, asked myself all the same questions I make my clients answer. 
who do I want to be when I grow up? I want to be Julia Spencer Fleming. That's who I want to be. I love Julia Spencer Fleming and Ellie Griffiths and all the people, the mystery writers who write his and her mysteries. That's basically who I wanted to be. But Julia Spencer Fleming, she was my god, my goddess, right? And I thought, but I can't be Julia Spencer Fleming because there already is a Julia Spencer Fleming and she's fantastic. But I could be Julia Spencer Fleming with dogs. The same but different. And so that's what I did. And I'm happy to say that when A Borrowing of Bones came out, that was the first book in the series, Library Journal did a review and they said, well, you know, this may review remind a lot of uh, readers of Margaret Mitsushima, who also writes wonderful canine mysteries. But it really reminded me of Julia Spencer Fleming with dogs. And I was like, yes, because that's what I set out to do, you know? So all of you writers need to ask yourself that question. Who do you want to be when you grow up as a writer? How is your project the same but different? And that will help you not only pitch your project, but it will help you focus your story so that it can sustain that narrative thrust throughout the 400 pages. We're visiting with Paula Muneer, Paula, M-U-N-I-E-R.com. She's the author of the Mercy Car Mysteries and helps a rarefied group of author clients build their writing careers. It sounds like you're living the dream. Yes, yes, that's true. And I appreciate that more than, more than you know. But also, you know, p- new people get published every day. Debut authors happen every day. The trick is not to give up. Because, you know, I published my first mystery at 62. And I wanted to be a mystery writer since I read, you know, Nancy Drew. So that's a long time ago, okay? But I finally got around to it. And I, fi- and I did a lot of work ahead of, you know, everything I did beforehand kind of led up to it. I was a reporter. I was an editor, you know. I did all these things that sort of prepared my foundation, But ultimately, I just had to do what Hallie Efron told me to do, which was finish a book, right? So you just have to finish and you have to keep revising. And it does happen. It happens for for the people who don't give up. That's really who it happens for. You know, people always ask me when I teach a class, they'll take me aside later and they'll say, okay, you heard everybody's first pages. Who's going to be the first person to get published? And I always say, I have no idea. Because I really don't. Often... The most talented people with the highest level of craft never finish or they give up or they go off to Tahiti or they do whatever it is they do. They don't finish and they don't persist. Right. And then there's that guy in the back who you think, oh, my God, you know, he has so far to go in terms of craft, you know. And then the next thing you know, a couple of years later or five years, whatever, he's published because he never gave up. He kept on revising. I belong to a writer's group one time that had a guy like that in the writers group and nobody could believe he was the first to get published because they tore his stuff to shreds every week in that writing group. But he, he was tough. He just went home. He rewrote, he kept on writing and he was the first one to get a multi-book deal because he never gave up. So the old cliche that the race is not always won by the fastest or the strongest, but by the person who can keep going still holds true today. You know, don't give up. And if you, if you have a dream, do it. Now's the time. You know, it, it, there's never a good time, really. There's always something else you can do. God knows there's always something else you can do that's easier. But if your goal is to be a writer, just write. And give yourself permission 
to write. I think a lot of people, they don't know how to tell their family and friends that they want to spend all this time in a room by themselves making up stories about imaginary people doing imaginary things. You can't expect other people to understand why you want to do that. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You just have to say, look, this is my thing. And then find yourself some writer friends who will understand why you have this compulsion to support you, right? And then do it. Paula Muneer is the author of The Mercy Car Mysteries. She has given us some solid gold advice on how to navigate your agent relationship and the simple secret that often separates successful authors from the rest of the pack. Learn more about her at Paula Muneer, M-U-N-I-E-R.com. Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Check out Chasing the Captain, the newest Jessica Ramirez thriller from Terry Shepard, available in print, digital, and audiobook. I'm Lisa Davis. Join Terry in the next chapter for Authors on the Air.